Our study of God's Big Ten brings us today to the commandment given to protect our lives, Thou shalt not murder. Is this a command that labels all killing sinful? What about capital punishment? What about the Old Testament demand for justice and the New Testament call for mercy? These are tough questions, and there is room in the family of God for strong debate about what the Bible actually teaches. Let's join our Truth Encounter teacher, Dave Wardson, as he begins today's discussion by mentioning some of the intense realities of violence in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. See if this sounds a little like your hometown. Catherine Carmichael is a 17-year-old teenager, and she kind of lived a completely double life. Her mom and dad thought she was just a sweet little 17-year-old. As it turned out, she was heavily involved in gang warfare. She kind of got angry at some of her fellow students, and she called up her boyfriend, Whaley, and they went on a rampage, got in their car, and they started scattering shots around. Sean Cooper had the uh, very sad fortune to uh, drive up alongside of her, and they blew him into eternity. They shot him, and they stopped the car, and then one of the guys in the car got out and beat him up and shot him repeatedly, and now that's uh, the normal headline. We have a, a mother. Her daughter didn't make cheerleader, and so she hires a hitman to take care of the person that kind of wiped her daughter out from getting cheerleader. That was also made a television series. You stop and think of it, we had some parents that starved their son to death. And we went through the agonizing trial. Now the thing is, I mentioned that series of headlines. The things that I, I want you to recognize about that is that it doesn't get us anymore. It doesn't bother us anymore. It just doesn't do anything to us. In fact, there's even a scintillating entertainment in it. And that's what's wrong. One of the major things that's happened in entertainment is that we've been bombarded with our senses and there's been a desensitizing of each one of us towards the agony and the horror of murder. As we focus on the book of Deuteronomy and as we study about living right, I want you to feel that this Old Testament book that was written by Moses still has profound insight for today. Like we studied the swing commandment, honor your father and your mother. We learned that in childhood it means to be obedient to a godly parent. And we talked about the responsibilities of a parent. We also talked about the responsibilities of a child. We talked about that in adulthood it means that as our parents grow older, that we really minister to them, that we take care of their need. But the thing that I want you to get a hold of is that this idea of honoring your father and your mother become strategic for an entire way of life. All of society flows out of that hinge commandment. You learn to respect a police officer by what your mom and dad do when you're a defiant two-year-old saying, no, and it's going to be my way. And the way mom and dad handle that when you're two is what happens when you're 17, what happens when you go to school and the way you relate to teachers. That's what the Ten Commandments are telling us. They're telling us that all of life hinges on this basic foundational framework. And honor your father and your mother becomes the foundation. We learned that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the parent is like the administrative assistant of God. They are God's representative. 
And so ideally, they need to be like Christ, they need to be like God, and a child that's raised in a home with a mom and dad that are looking to God, that are learning to respond to God, and therefore they're becoming like him, the child naturally learns to begin to be respectful of that same kind of loving authority. The tragedy of our society, and my, my brother in Christ, Anthony Evans, right up here in Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, Anthony has a warning for us that live a little bit farther out from the downtown areas. You see, Dr. Evans ministers in a culture where everyone knows that the family has broken down. The fellow that used to be the assistant police there in, in L.A. wrote a book. and He called it L.A. Injustice, and there's a question mark there. And he describes, Bob Vernon describes how in his years on the L.A. police force, he saw a city self-destruct. And the L.A. riots, which we only saw one small portion of it, but it just brings to a head this total anarchy, this total fracturing of society. Now, as we sit here you know, today very comfortably, you can say, well, we're very far away from that. No, we're not. That attack against the family is pounding away. And that idea of honoring your parents and parents that really care, parents that are there, the big problem in the United States is that there aren't any parents. They're not there. Divorces take them into a million different situations. We have extended families and multiple families, and on and on it goes. And mom and dad aren't there anymore. Now, what I want you to see is the connectedness that when mom and dad aren't there, or when mom and dad aren't the influence that they should be, then what it means is we set up a whole series of steps down. And the very first one is the sixth commandment that we're going to talk about today. Thou shalt not murder. Now, I remember when I first started studying the Ten Commandments, and I'd read in the New Testament, like in the last days there will be those that murder their fathers and murder their mothers. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, when it talks about that idea of people that would kill their parents, I said, Lord, why do you include that? Who would ever think of doing such a thing? What about today? You all have heard illustrations where teenagers have decided, I've had enough with my parents, so I get a shotgun and blow my parents into eternity. We're starting to see not the early signs, but some of the real fulfilling signs of a society that's fracturing. We learned that the reason for that is because we have taken the Ten Commandments out of our society. And in our society today, like when you, most of you were raised, the Ten Commandments would be on the walls of your school. We live in a culture now that says that, that is the establishment of religion. So the Ten Commandments have to come down off the wall. When that starts happening, we are in a society right now where there's very strong forces seeking to get morality and ethics and any standard that's built upon the Ten Commandments out of the public marketplace. Our society could care less what I say here for the most part. What they don't want you to do is to say it in your office. They don't want you to say it in the public school. They don't want you to say it in the college. They want you to say it just in the confines of this little building. Because religion is something that's just separate. Now what I want you to get a hold of as a group of believers is that what we're talking about. Your family depends upon that. Your life depends upon it. And I want to say that again. Your life depends upon it. Because the command, thou shalt not murder, 
is being forgotten in our culture. How many of you husbands like your wives to go alone to some of the malls around the Dallas area? Do all of you husbands feel totally comfortable? Just let them go. Why can't they go? How many of you would be afraid to walk at 2 o'clock in the morning in certain parts of Dallas? Why? It's because we live in a violent culture. I mean, just as innocent in a place as right at just 30 minutes from here, at a, at a restaurant, a policeman gets blown into eternity during a, a drug bust. Murder isn't just out there somewhere, it's right here. We live in a town where some young people, not very many in the press, just totally exploited it and made us look very different than we are as a town. But we do live in a town where a small group of teenagers decided that a narcotics agent needed to be done away with, and he was. Murder. Murder has devastated our town. In fact, Midlothian is famous for what? You know, when I go back to the East Coast and I'm preaching in a meeting, hardly any time that I preach, when someone says, where are you from? I say, I'm saying I'm from Midlothian. They, get, they scratch their head and say, I've heard of that place. And then all of a sudden they go, oh yeah, yeah, that's the place. Thou shalt not murder. And it's time for the people of God to realize that in Christ we can become a light because we understand the foundation of our life. We want to ask ourselves, first of all, what does it mean, thou shalt not murder? Well, we're going to look at it, the definition of murder according to the Sixth Commandment. Then we're going to look at the punishment for murder when it takes place. We're going to look at fair trials and, and also fair punishments. And then we're going to talk about the prevention of murder. There's a lot to cover in this important area. Let's first of all deal with the definition of murder. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. We've been looking at Deuteronomy, but I want you to see that we also have these same commands in the book of Exodus. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 are the two places in the Word of God where we have the commands, uh, the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words of God laid out. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. According to the NIV, you have, you shall not, say it to me, you shall not murder. What if some of you have? Some of you also have a, a very authorized, established version. How many of you have King James Bibles here this morning? Some of you do. What do you have in your Bible? Thou shalt not kill. Okay. That raises the issue. The reason I mention that to you is that it raises the issue. In the English history of the interpretation of the Sixth Commandment, there's been tremendous, tremendous ramifications to this difference. Is the command, thou shalt not murder... Or is the command, thou shalt not kill? Now, in the thou shalt not kill tradition, the sixth commandment has often been used in a very broad framework to develop the idea that there should not be any war, that a soldier that goes out and defends his country is breaking the sixth commandment when he kills the enemy. Others would say, for example, if you're a police officer and you go down and you're, and you're carrying out your responsibilities, it's saying that if you see someone be accosted and they're being beaten up and they go to fire at you and you know for sure that your life is threatened, if you take out your gun and retaliate and you take their life, there's many that will say, thou shalt not kill, it means you've broken that command. Just this past week, we've had several news stories about, we heard about one 
child killer that just killed children repeatedly. And he asked to be hung. He was sentenced by the state. He was, you know, over and over again, all the appeals have been made. According to some of the news bulletins that I've received in the religious sphere, there's those that say he did come to know Christ as his Savior. And he was saying that I want to be punished for what I did because I'm scared to death that I would do it again. But many in our culture say that's a horrible, horrible thing. And it raises very delicate issues. What about capital punishment? Is that what the Sixth Commandment is speaking against? Thou shalt not kill. What we need to understand is we look at the Old Testament, as we look at the, the word that's used here, it's a great insight into how important it is when you do translation to pick the right target word for the target language, the right word for the right target language you're trying to communicate with. In Hebrew, the term, and I'll just give it to you, not just to snow you, but just so you can know what it is, it's the word ratsak. And ratsak in Hebrew does not just mean generally kill. In fact, it's really not used that many times in the Old Testament. But when it is used, it always means to murder. Not just to take a life, but it means to take a life maliciously in the case of legally, we would call it murder in the first degree. Murder with intent. Murder with hostility. Murder with premeditation. It means that. Murder in the first degree. It can also be used, which we're going to look at later, these two forms of murder, of taking a life. It can also be used in the idea of manslaughter. Manslaughter is, is when there's accidental death. You're at work and you're slinging a hammer, and suddenly the hammerhead goes off the handle and hits your buddy in the head, and you take their life. That's manslaughter. And this word will be used for both of those instances of the taking of a life. You say, Dave, how do you know that it doesn't mean, like, for example, war? Because right in the next chapters in Deuteronomy, we have entire instructions from the Lord about the, how the children of Israel are to invade the land of Canaan. And they're to carry out war. We've already studied together about the taking of Jericho in our church family's study of the book of Joshua. In other words, if the command means generally, in a big overarching statement, thou shalt not ever take a life, then the Lord's commands to the children of Israel to go in and invade the land of Canaan, his commands to King David to defend their land, would be totally inconsistent. Different words are used. In Hebrew, rasak, the word of the Sixth Commandment, does not speak of taking a life in war. You don't want to get into a whole concept of developing the idea of a just war and that kind of a thing. But I want you to be aware that the Sixth Commandment is not speaking to that very strong debate about whether or not it's right to defend yourself in war. We know that it can't mean that because right in the Old Testament, we have instances where that is so. Later on, when we look at the punishment for murder in the first degree, we're going to find out that under the Mosaic law, if hostile intent, malicious intent, premeditated hatred was involved in the taking of life, the punishment for that was that life had to be given. And we'll talk about why that was so. But if that was breaking the sixth commandment, then God would be totally inconsistent. On the one hand, he was saying, don't ever take a life. 
And then he would say that if someone took another life, their life needed to be taken. What we have to understand is the command means thou shalt not murder, either accidentally or with malicious intent. Murder in the first degree or manslaughter. So the definition of the sixth commandment, you say, well, Dave, that's all the Old Testament. We're going to find out in a minute that Romans 13 gives the right to the government. It's a right that comes from God, which is going to raise some interesting ramifications for a culture that's beginning to deny God, which leads to much of the injustice over the execution of fairness in the trial of murder. But from a principle standpoint, Romans 13 tells us that a judge is a minister of God, that a jury in our culture is ordained by God. They are part of a legal system that God has sanctioned. It's one of his gifts to help human culture to be able to survive. And one of the rights of that judicial system, the governmental judicial system, is not to bear the sword in vain, that they don't hold that sword in vain. And the Bible even warns God's children. Peter will say to you as one of God's children, you might suffer for the cause of Christ. That's one thing. But he says, don't you feel sorry for yourself if you suffer as a thief or as a murderer. And sadly, Peter has to envision possibly one of God's children could fall into terrible sin. In Romans 13 and under the Mosaic Law, capital punishment is sanctioned by God. And that would mean that it could not be a breaking of the Sixth Commandment. So the answer to our first question, what does the Sixth Commandment mean? Thou shalt not murder. It means thou shalt not take a life with malicious intent, with hatred, with premeditation, because you're angry which is where we're going to end up because that's the source of where violence takes place. And you also need to learn to be careful. Moms and dads, from the time that their kids are very small, we're going to find out. They need to teach their children to take precautions. If mom and dad aren't there and children don't learn safety habits, then there's bad work ethics, there's bad problems at work, and there can easily be an accident where somebody loses their life in the Old Testament says that that is a culpable offense. There was a punishment for that. Not capital punishment, but there was a punishment because God wanted us to care for one another. We needed to pay attention. We're going to learn more about that. So the meaning of the command, the sixth commandment, is thou shalt not murder, not thou shalt not kill in a big general sense. Second of all, I want you to see the distinction that I've been making between two forms of taking a life. I want you to look at Numbers. We'll look at the book of Numbers. Look at Numbers 35 and verses 15 and following. This Numbers 35 is a chapter that deals extensively with this whole area of defining what the Old Testament teaches about murder. I want you to look at uh, Numbers chapter. I'm sure you had your quiet time there this week. Numbers 35. And let's look at verse 15. These six towns will be a place of refuge for the Israelites, aliens, and any other people. I want you to notice that not only the national Israelites, but all the aliens, foreigners that were living among them, servants, everyone, had the same principles of justice. There was no social priority for anyone under the Old Testament judicial system. In other words, if you were an alien, if you were a foreigner that was working in the land of old Israel, 
If you murdered somebody, you had just the same rights as a citizen of Israel. And what it's telling us is that the Lord provided these cities of refuge that when a murder took place, when a life was taken, that you could run to that city. Because at this early stage of societal development, if you murdered somebody, somebody lost their life, even if it happened accidentally, their brother would come after you. Their brothers would come after you. If you've ever read you know, some of the Westerns, it's like the Sackett family. They're going to be on your case. And what you would do is you would run to a city of refuge. And then it talks to us about what will happen in that city of refuge. And it talks to us about different scenarios. Now, these scenarios are given to teach us how to think, how to think the way God thinks about these questions of justice. They're not to just follow like a paradigm where you go, well, here's this particular case and here's every single detail and does every detail fit in. It's much more like what our legal system does built on English law that follows the precedent of experience from the past. And what the Old Testament does is give you scenarios that teach you how to think about justice. Look what it says. In verse 16, if a man strikes someone with an iron object so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. In our society, that would be equivalent to saying if someone picks up a pistol because they're furious, because they're angry, and they blow somebody into eternity, it's murder in the first degree. In other words, it wasn't an accident. You don't pick up a gun and aim it at somebody and just pull the trigger unless you're a, a, a child that doesn't understand how to use it. When you're angry and you're upset and you're filled with hate, when you pick up an iron object, in their culture it was to pick up a sword or a dagger or something like that or a hatchet. It's saying that's murder. It says if you pick up with a lethal weapon or if anyone has a stone in his hand that he could kill and he strikes someone and he dies, he is a murderer, he shall be put to death. If he has a wooden object like a big staff, like in the story of Robin Hood, something like, you know, little John would use, which would be a lethal weapon in that story, in his hand. It's that idea, having a wooden weapon that you can just knock someone into eternity with so that he dies, he's a murderer. It says, the avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. Look at verse 20. If anyone with malice aforethought, aforethought that means that if you have a relationship and you start to be really at odds with this individual. They have done something to you. They misunderstood you, or they messed you up at work, or they, or they took something that, that you really wanted. And you start to be filled with hate, filled with malice, filled with anger towards them. And rather than turning it over to God, you tank it. So you become an angry person, and you're living on that anger so that it explodes and you snuff out that person's life that you're angry with. It's saying if you have that kind of malice and a forethought, it says if you shove somebody, if you throw something at someone intentionally so that he dies, or if there's hostility, he hits him with his fist so that he dies, that person shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. I want you to see the implications behind this. In fact, uh, you know, the lawyers in our midst would develop all kinds of precedents. In fact, you could see that right through English and then U.S. law picking up all kinds of legal ramifications, which is in my field, but you can start to see some of the language that you're familiar with. 
lethal weapons. For example, if you're a professional boxer and your fists are licensed as lethal weapons, and if a boxer gets in a fight with somebody and he takes their life with those fists, then it relates to this kind of thinking because they were lethal weapons, especially if there was hostility and there was anger. But what I want you to see is that we have the idea of intentionality. And I want you to see how there's an idea of maliciousness and hatred and anger that can become so much a part of our life that murder becomes what we think about. You see, we throw up our hands up in exasperation. We say, how in the world could Catherine, you know, how could she ever have done that? How in the world could this girl, you know, Catherine Carmichael, how could she ever have snuffed out the life of one of her fellow students? It happens right here in our town. Groups of kids start to hate another group of kids. And they build tremendous hostility. And then they get together in those groups of hostility and they start to wage war against one another. You're on a pathway that will eventually take a life. In other words, we think of the command, thou shalt not murder, as being something, man, that would never apply to me. I don't need to worry about that. Every one of us that has wrestled with anger this past week has the potentiality of taking a life. The connection between anger and murder. Jesus made this connection, and Dave will develop this thought further from the book of Deuteronomy in the conclusion of this study titled, Thou shalt not murder. We have already covered a lot of ground. Those of you representing Christ in the legal profession need to stand against a bias in the courtroom that causes the rich to be able to purchase their innocence or the poor to face a different standard of justice. There are powerful forces at work removing all individual blame and placing responsibility on society at large or historical forces beyond an individual's control. Deuteronomy has much to say to us about law and order. Be sure to join us again next week.